Little things first here. We are happy to be with you again today for another podcast episode, The Little Things That Make a Difference in Education. This is Tracy Vandeventer, and we are so grateful for you to listen into our podcast as we talk with different experts out in the field, both in the buildings as well as doing research and helping us find out what are the little things that make a big difference in our schools. We've found out so many little things, Tracy, in our two years, of, well, a year pile, and a half, I guess. A pile of little things. Yes, a pile <laughs> of little things. I like that. So who are we um, uh, hearing about little things from today? Today we're going to talk to Amy Denny, who's in Sioux City, Iowa, and I am so excited. She's another national distinguished principal and has been doing some amazing work in her building. And so we're going to have a chance to talk to her about the work she's been doing and the success she's been having. And we're going to find out the little things that she's doing at Perry Creek Elementary. So let me give her a call. I always feel so inspired by these principals. I know, me too want to be them when I grow up. I know. Exactly. Hello, this is Amy. Hi, Amy. This is Tracy Vandeventer at Little Things Podcast. We are so happy that you've taken time to talk with us today. Thank you. I'm so honored that you asked to even visit with me. Yeah, thank you. I'm here with my co-host, Jim Martin. Hi, Amy. Hi, Jim. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for joining us today. Nice to talk with you, too. We would love it if you would start off by just telling us about yourself and a little bit about your school. Sure. Um, So I am from Iowa, a a rural farm girl, and was fortunate to go to a K-12 school all the way through at the same school and had great experiences and knew that I wanted to be a teacher from the time I was in kindergarten. Um, (laughs) You probably hear that a lot. Um, And in high school, my high school principal let me work on the schedule and um, get to do some of the management type tasks that principals get to do. And I thought, gosh, I would kind of maybe like to be a principal someday. So that all came to be. I went to college in Sioux City um, at Morningside and then went on to teach middle school for a year, family consumer science. And that was definitely not my cup of tea. <laughs> and then um, the then I taught first grade um, at a really diverse school, uh, much different from the school that I had attended as a child. Um, and knew that, you know, that's kind of where I was called to be is, is serving kids um, who were at risk and had a real need. And when I was there, our principal, um, it was sort of a, a modeling of maybe what not to do. She hired an amazing staff and then kind of just stood back from all of it. Um, and the staff became the leaders in the school, which that was actually pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, but she didn't attend really anything. And we were essentially leading the school. <laughs> Um, which gave me a lot of great experience um, because we became involved with the Department of Education and some others needing to intervene with the school. And I had the opportunity to just, you know, get my hands on lots of awesome teaching strategies and research-based and evidence-based practices that um, sort of sparked a passion for literacy and really, you know, closing the achievement gap. And so I went back and got my master's in administration um, at Wayne State College in Nebraska. And then 
had the opportunity to become a district literacy strategist um, because of my involvement with so much of that training. Um, and from there, then I became a, an elementary principal. And so I've been doing that now for, oh my gosh, since 2007. So yeah, that's been very exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm a, yeah, I'm at a school in Sioux City that um, has just under 800 students, um, and we combined three. I was the principal at three elementary schools uh, that we combined together to form one community school, and it is a, a neighborhood that is definitely unique. Um, we have one part of the neighborhood is very diverse and low socioeconomic status. And the northern part of the neighborhood is in the country club. So, um, it, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting and very rewarding. So you had three schools that were in Sioux City, and then you combined all three of those into one school. Yes, yes. And were you part of a school before or prior to that kind of combining or did you join the school when it got combined? No, I was the principal at all three schools. I traveled oh. around all day long. So yeah, each of the schools had, um, uh, two of them had, you know, 250 students and one had 300 some students. Uh, and I shared and I, I traveled between the three. I had a great assistant principal and amazing teachers. And, um, but I definitely would not like to go back to that. No. Those that experience. That was a lot, um, but it was, it was well worth it. And I'm glad that I was able to become part of each of those individual school communities because mm -hmm. it really helped me when we became one United school. Yeah. So when did that happen? What year was that? That was in 2015. Oh, so not very long ago. Not very long ago, no. So the school that I'm at right now, we opened our doors in 2017. Okay. Yeah. And and is it a new building? It is. It's a brand new building. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful building. It, it has a, a lot of land with it, and so really scenic, lots of wildlife, and um, we're very, very blessed. That's great. So how did you, what did you do to bring those three communities together when you had to come together under one roof? Yeah, to make one community. Right. That, and that was so important to me um, because I know relationships are everything. So fortunately, I, I had great principals that were ahead of me who none of them had done that, but they all had, you know, kind of tips and tricks in opening a new school. Um, I did a lot of reading and research, um, really digging into the work that McCrell had um, had developed and in leadership and knew that I needed to be intentional and, and really set aside time. So every month we held professional development with all three schools at a neutral location where we just truly worked on relationships and um, getting to know each other and designing the school that we all wanted to be a part of, sort of having that purpose in mind um, to be able to serve our students and really picturing what we wanted it to look like and, and then everybody finding a part in that. And, and even things like, you know, finding a mascot or a new name, how did all yeah. that come about? <laughs> so that was exciting too. We, um, because the three com 
parts of our school, the three neighborhoods per se, were so unique. I thought it was really important that we involve the families and the students. So we took submissions and recommendations and then we voted. So the kids got to vote, um, the families got to vote, the staff got to vote, and we took all of that information in in choosing the name of our school, um, the colors, the mascot, uh, so many parts of our school. Nice. And and what an interesting transition for you to sort of see them all as a separate entity and then to have them come together in one building. I think that it really is an interesting juxtaposition because as you mentioned, there's some really, you know, big differences between those communities. So um, you feel that that transition has been pretty, pretty good, especially like thinking about your teachers. Like how, how did you, did you just bring all the teachers with you at the same time as well? So that's another interesting part. And I should have mentioned, we didn't actually get to all fit into our one school. Um, our numbers climbed and then the school board said that they weren't comfortable having an elementary school that large. So I ended up, we were one united school body, but I had a pre an early childhood center. Mm-hmm. So I had a preschool transitional, two transitional kindergartens and five kindergarten classrooms in one location. Mm-hmm. And then my first through fifth in our brand new school building. And it was, it's just this year that I was finally able to get everybody in the same building. Wow. Um, but yeah, that, you know, those things that you brought up, the teachers, unfortunately, we had to lose a number. I think we lost about five teachers because of cuts yeah. in seniority. And they were all teachers from the school who was most at risk sure. because, of course, that school had the most turnover. Right. Um, and they were all new teachers that I had just hired. So I hated losing them. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. And a couple of them have now, you know, since been able to come back to me. But yeah, we, we tried to bring everybody over and we had some teachers move grade levels um, to be able to to serve the students in the sections that we needed. But that yeah. was that was exciting. I think the most exciting part was getting to build the staff that that I dream. That's kind of a dream a dream thing for an administrator to be able to do is to build a staff. Yeah. And you know, it was just sort of like we developed our vision and mission. And if there was a staff member who just felt like this wasn't going to meet their needs or it wasn't the school that they dreamed of being part of, mm-hmm. you know, they had the opportunity to transfer to another school. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. The the demographics of your school, you talked about some are, you know, more low income and some are uh, better off. And so I'm just wondering, um, you know, sometimes in school systems, those students go to separate schools uh, in separate communities, and now you have them in your one building. How are you addressing, you know, performance differences that we sometimes see between um, kids in poverty situations and kids not? I mean, how are you, you talked about the achievement gap a little bit earlier. How are you addressing that in your school? Yeah, absolutely. That was an area that I was very concerned about. And interestingly enough, the the school that had such diverse, um, a diverse population, those teachers at that school, they were able to receive Title I professional development and Title I supports. And um, they had access to, you know, the best resources and the, the best practices, whereas the schools that weren't Title I had not received any of that training mm-hmm. or professional development. So, 
it really became a need to make sure our teachers were up to speed on evidence-based practices and closing the gap and meeting the needs. And it, you know, gone were the days of chicken feeding the kids where right, throw it out. they're going, you know, they're just going to make a year's worth of growth in a year's time. Um, we really had to work at it. And so that's been unique because combining, we became uneligible, you know, ineligible for Title I services. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, right. So our district decided that they were only going to serve students or schools that had a greater than 70% free and reduced lunch. Um, and we were under that. So we're about 50. And definitely the need is obviously still there. Mm-hmm. But what that means is that I have no interventionists, no Title yeah. I teachers. Um, and so we have intervention blocks and our teachers, um, they serve students and we provide interventions. And uh, at first, you know, it was a little bit, it, it had, we had tears because they knew that they were working a lot harder than they've ever worked before. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's been so rewarding and everybody having that collective efficacy that we can do this and we all believe the same things. Um, that's really helped us continue to grow. Right. Because as you, you know, I'm imagining that experience, that transition, you've had some teachers, well, for one thing, you had some teachers where five of their colleagues were let go. That would have been tough. And then you have other teachers who haven't been receiving some of that same, you know, professional learning opportunities. And now you've got this classroom that for everybody is going to be really a different kind of mix. So I'm curious more about what were some of your first steps on building like the capacity of your teachers for that differentiation that was going to now be required? Because you're going to have some I assume some big differences within the classroom where that might not have been true prior to the, to the joining. Yeah, the, we, so I think the greatest um, difference was our students who don't speak English um, or are learning English as their second language. We have newcomers in our school and for two of the schools um, and their staff, they did not serve students with um, that needed ESL supports, those students were bused to other schools. Mm. So that was a tremendous amount of learning, um, learning about evidence-based strategies, non-linguistic representations, how important it is to focus on, you know, reading, writing, speaking, listening, um, providing opportunities for rich communication throughout the day with lots of visual supports. Um, And then, this, the same, you know, those those teachers had a mindset of, you know, sort of the lack of differentiation. It was getting out the basal and really teaching that basal information, which isn't going to meet the needs of all of our students. And so it was really getting them to be growing confidence. That's, that's where um, it wasn't that they weren't willing to do it. I realized they weren't confident in their abilities to do it. And so it was, it's always a matter of making sure teachers are confident um, and they're willing to take risks and know that I'm always going to be there to support them. If they fail when they're taking a risk, you know, that's better than, than not taking a risk at all. Um, and, and through that, I think that that has benefited us greatly because they know that, you know, we need to make approximations in teaching just like we make approximations in learning and using those evidence-based strategies and knowing our students. It's so important to continue to grow as a teacher 
um, just as it is a learner. I, I am so struck by that language where you talked about, right, grow in confidence. I don't think that we've actually heard that before in that way. And I believe completely in what you're speaking about, where giving teachers sort of the space to be innovative and to take those risks. And I'm curious, how did you, if you can think about a little thing that you were doing that maybe if I'm a teacher and I'm watching Jim and he's taking a risk, how would I know that it's good for me to take those risks or be innovative? What, what do you think you were doing? Um, so I'm thinking about right now, we're in the middle of a study of implementation. So we have ongoing studies of implementation where typically we have groups of teachers going in and out of our cl- in and out of classrooms, ob- observing each other and reflecting on that. Um, and I have a couple of model classroom teachers that teachers are able to come in and um, one for a math practice and the other for their literacy practice. And teachers from our whole district actually get to come and see these teachers in action, but it's highly reflective, you know, allowing teachers to be reflective and um, helping them to, you know, we were trying to use technology before we had to use technology. And right now, you know, they're videotaping themselves this week. All of my teachers and students were videotaping lessons that they're going to share with each other um, this next week. And I just think getting them to be comfortable and see the other you know, teachers in action and, and praising each other for taking risks and learning from each other. Um, I tell them all the time, you know, we have the right people here. I don't need to go outside of our school to find great teachers. We just, we are continually learning and helping them to be more confident because I think when they close their doors, um, it's easy to stay kind of you know, in the same mode of teaching, stay pretty stable and not challenge ourselves. Um, and that just encouraging constant risks. And they also see me taking risks. So I'm taking risks all day in everything I'm doing. And I am quick to point out when I fail. So, <laughs> so I have um, a question about your model classrooms. So how did you go about choosing the teachers for those model classrooms? So um, I'll speak about my literacy. My second grade teacher, Mrs. Oakley, she um, actually, I was the only trained principal in the state of Iowa for the literacy blueprint. And that was in partnership with Iowa Reading Research Center and University of Iowa, um, as well as the Iowa Department of Education. So I had the, you know, the opportunity to have some amazing professional development. And I got to put that in action then in my school. You know, my teachers were able to be the first school to completely implement those strategies. And that teacher under, she had me observing her constantly. And she had um, the director of the Iowa Department of Education's Iowa Reading Research Center in her room observing her regularly, giving feedback. She had her associate superintendent giving her feedback. And we were going through constant coaching cycles. And I was growing and she was growing. And um, it got to the point where our associate superintendent really felt strongly about other people needing to see um, these practices in action. And so she um, had sort of applications for teachers who are interested to be part of this. And there are three teachers in our district. And fortunately, um, my 
one of my second grade teachers is one of those and she continues to be exceptional. You know, now she's opening up her classroom with technology. Teachers are able to view that. So it's really been, it's really been exciting. Are you virtual right now or are you? We're not. No, we're fully, we're fully in person. Yep. We have had a couple of classrooms that have had, um, teachers have willingly just sort of engaged students all day with technology, but we, we are fortunate that we've been, uh, we've had no spread within our school. So we are entirely in person. Oh, that's great. Um, and then, and then did you say you had a math model classroom as well, or? We do. So we implement a practice called board math and that is out of, um, California. And we have a third grade teacher who is a leader in board math and she does the same thing. And so it's been a lot of people coming in and observing her going through coaching cycles with her. She's constantly wanting to become better and, um, and does that, you know, she puts forth her very best teaching every day. Uh, the kids are excited. I mean, all the kids are, are just excited and generally, genuinely proud um, that their classroom is receiving visitors to watch their teacher. So right. it's been really received very positively. And did you say board math? I'm assuming that's not B-O-R-E-D. No. <laughs> no, although I have seen some classrooms where it was board math. Yes. Jim's on the hunt for some new math curriculum. Right. And that's why he's I was like, oh, my ears like perked up. <laughs> math. Okay. <laughs> Well, tell me more, if you don't mind, about the idea of sharing with people um, with the video. So you're ha- you just said, oh, all, my, all our staff just finished taping. So yes. are they taping for their own personal reflection? Are they yes. like submitting them and then everybody gets to watch each other? Or how does that both. work? Both. Yeah, both. So right now, um, so this past week, our, our current implementation study is focused on board math. And so they taped a 20 to 30 minute segment of their, their math instruction and students are part of the reflection as well. So then we provide professional development time uh, and teachers watch their own video and then teachers are watching videos with students and reflecting also on how engaged students are and how their responses um, appeared and you know, whether or not students were being, um, were using the practices and strategies that we're teaching them. And so right now it's been really exciting. Uh, we're short lunch staff. So I've been a lunch lady, uh, for the last month. And so in the lunchroom all day, they're telling me about how, did you see our video yet? Did you Uh see it? You know, we, this is what we did and we're going to redo our video tomorrow. And so we had a lot of videos being made this week. And then next week, um, teachers are specifically watching their own videos and really reflecting on their teaching practices. And we have, you know, a fidelity form that we're using um, to make sure that we are hitting those components of the strategies. And then teachers will share that within their PLCs. Did you- so our PLCs meet regularly and then they will additionally you know, sort of give each other feedback and peer coaching. Did you create that fidelity list or check off um, on your own as a community? Or is that something that you found and you brought in? Um, So we use the components of board math from the the evidence-based practice that we're 
um, implementing. And then our district, actually, we had our, our district math consultant as well as, well as our um, area education agency consultant worked with us and others to develop a form. And then our school um, sort of focused in on those areas and components of the strategy that we wanted to specifically observe. And and so focused mostly then on the videotape in regards to math, not not doing that in the literacy, or is it in both areas? No, this one is just in math. We've also done literacy implementation cycles um, where we've done the entire 90-minute literacy block and mm. studied that and gone in and observed each other and reflected. But right now, um, and actually we taped those and sent those to the Reading Research Center for feedback as well. Um, so this, we're, we're really just focusing on math. And then you said, as you've been doing these videos, there's time for the teachers to be reflective, but then you, you have teachers sit with students from their class that yes. watch with them and also provide feedback. Yes. So that was something that we just kind of happened upon. Um, the kids wanted to watch the video. They wanted to watch themselves and they were asking their teachers if they could watch the videos. And so teachers started doing that and found that kids were, you know, really being reflective on them on their own practices, because something that we do at the end of every literacy block and math block is we have our students and teachers reflect on, did we meet our, our content and language objectives today? What things did we do well and what can we improve upon for tomorrow? And, so the kids wanted to watch the video and they were just naturally reflective. Sure. Do you see that the kids are willing sometimes to say, Hey, when you did this, it made it hard for me to understand. Do they give teachers feedback? Yeah, they do actually. Wow. Yes. They, they said, um, so the teacher, and this is just from a conversation I held on Thursday, the teacher said when we were doing the choral reading part of the, the math problem, um, you didn't read with very much gusto. And they said, well, we were reading it in the same voice that you were reading it. <laughs> you know, so it's it's funny. They they aren't afraid to give their teachers feedback. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I think that is such a great model. I've seen it used in a few schools. I'm thinking of another school um, that had their teachers videotape and they did it as part of their PLC. So the teacher videotaped the lesson and they all took turns and then they showed the video in part of their professional learning community time where they just gave each other feedback by watching the video as like a team. So yep. the, the whole fourth grade team kind of watched the video together and then they went through and um, I think if I remember correctly, that principal talked about how that was like a turning point for their school when they really started to look at the work and then identify what were the steps for improvement. Do you see that too then, I assume? Yep, I absolutely see that. And in two Mondays, that's what they'll be doing. They'll be meeting with their PLCs and everybody will be watching each other's videos. Um, and it, it every single time we do it, it's a turning point. But it took... I mean, I, I think back to where we were, even with developing trusting PLCs, that took so much time. And it still is important to go back and, and make sure that they are trusting mm -hmm. and they they have those relationships so that they feel confident when they're sharing their videos. Because yeah. it's it's so easy to be 
you know, just a passive listener in one of those PLCs and feel like you, you don't have any more to give or don't have any more to learn. Right. Um, but everybody's been so committed to our focus and, and seeing that we continue to improve um, and close the achievement gap. So that has made a lot of difference. Did you say daily reflection? Yes. So okay. every every day that's part of our literacy block and our math block is that students and teachers have our time for reflection. I mean, it, it usually is, is only, you know, two to five minutes at the end of every block. But yeah, that's that's been one of the evidence-based models that we've been following. And so the teacher and the student is reflecting on whether or not they reach the daily objectives. Correct. Correct. Oh, how powerful. Yeah. Great model. Uh, two questions. One, and then we realize, you know, it's a, you're, you're a busy person. We appreciate your time. One question is when you refer to the studies of implementation or implementation, implementation studies, is this a model you created on your own or is this something that you've taken from somewhere that we could share with our listeners so they could maybe look at this? Yeah. So um, the Iowa professional development model has a structured format for um, studies of implementation. And then a lot of the interventions and curriculum and um, evidence-based practices naturally have, uh, a lot of times the researchers develop a tool for a fidelity checklist. Um, And so what we've done is our leadership team and PLCs have either completely just said, yep, this works for us. These are all the areas that we're looking at. Or we've taken them and we've we've kind of tweaked them and added to some other components or, or combined strategies because we know that doing this is important and mm-hmm. we we also do it in this so we've added to it but yes I you know those those are all pieces that are are yeah. available for everyone yeah thank you our last question is um, just directed towards you and your own growth. And we wonder if you could step into a time machine and travel back to talk to your younger self, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, gosh. There's so much advice I would give myself. <laughs> um, you know, I think I, I rushed through school and I rushed through college because I wanted to be a teacher. Um, so much that I wish I would have taken more classes. I wish I would have appreciated learning all that there was to learn about um, students with disabilities and students who are English language learners and, um, you know, literacy instruction and math instruction. You know, now that I am old enough to appreciate that, uh, I wish I would have, you know, just had some of that preparation a little bit earlier because I now that I know what I know I think back to all the kids I wish I could apologize to for not knowing better when Mm -hmm. I was teaching them Um, but just really you know taking time to love learning along the way and that I think that if anything that's that's what I would advise 
Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate your taking time and sharing your expertise. I actually have taken a lot of notes from today and really want to dig more into this uh, implementation studies or studies of implementation because I think that I've seen evidence of it in small doses but never building wide like what you're doing. And I think that is a really amazing way to help our teachers be reflective and to grow in their practice. And it's meaningful, right? It's not just getting lectured at. It's like, no, really, I'm getting better. So I love yep. I love that model. Thank you so much. Right, and I love the Thank systematic you. way that you've approached it. And it's just, you know, really uh, obviously having some great results at your school. And, and there's lots that I feel like I want to dig deeper into and learn more about <laughs> and uh, take into my own practice. And I might be contacting you by email about your board math. So anyway. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Please do. I'm happy to share. Very good. Well, thank you so much for taking time and have a great rest of your day. You're welcome. And thank you both. Have a a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.